0: With the hot, dry and windy conditions, the chance of fire when combining may be greater than you think. And despite this week's forecast rain, the risk is not over.
1: With this weather, it might be a while before we are drilling. So, you know, there is that that fire risk going forward post-harvest as well.
0: We've more on soil, and as it nears its conclusion, Sean Sparling sums up a tough season in
2: agriculture. The general public have seen all of their money going out of the house far quicker than it would normally do it's been a very tough 12 months for everybody but of course we in agriculture have seen unprecedented price hikes from all inputs plus an update
0: on the sugar beet crop and our weekly livestock and grain market reports
2: the week in agriculture
0: This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. The crazy weather continues, but is it about to change? The forecast for the week later. Hello, hope you've had a good week. The very hot, very dry weather has led to several fires in fields being combined over the last few days. You may have seen the social media posts, some very distressing, including from Manor Farm in Wiltshire, where Tamsin Soper joins us. Tamsin, you were in the field where the fire started from a spark when the combine hit some flint. What did you do?
3: I came out the field and I went onto the main road, and from the main road you can actually see the combine. And as I looked over, I thought, "Is that dust?" And then I thought, "Oh God, no, it's not. It's it's fire." You know that the combine's not even there. The combine's the other end of the field. So I literally grabbed my phone out my out my um, pocket and I tried to ring my husband, who is on the other grain cart, and um, he was in the field at the time, but he was the other end of the field, so he wouldn't have been able to see it. So I tried ringing him, but I had no signal, and he didn't have any signal, and I know that there's no signal in that field. So I then moved the tractor and trailer up the hill to where I knew I had signal. By that point, when I ran out into the middle of the field to find the signal, um, that fire was, it was crazy. So I just rang 999, because we have a water bowser out in the field, but that fire was so big, I knew that we wouldn't have been able to manage that. And they said they were never half an hour away, so it was 45 minutes waiting for them.
0: Did you manage to get the fire under control yourselves then?
3: Yes, yeah, so we are so lucky. We have an amazing farming community around us. They all came rushing over from the neighbouring farms. They were even ringing us saying, are you on fire? Are you on fire? Because they could see from their combine. And um, we were like, yeah, yeah. They were like, we're on our way. So they literally zoomed over. And by the time the fire service turned up... It had spread to the neighbouring farm, but the fire service were amazed at how well we had managed to contain it.
0: Thank goodness for the farming community, eh?
3: Oh, God. we, we, We would not have done it without them.
0: Thanks, Tamsin. Thankfully, everyone involved was okay, but a lot of crop lost. Regional Director at the CLA, Kath Crowther, had a similar situation at the family farm in Wales last week. Kath, what advice do you have?
1: Yeah, so these hot, dry, windy conditions are really scary. Fire spreads faster than you can run. Make sure that if you're harvesting that ideally you've got a water bowser in the field with you and um, make sure that you've got a tractor um, up to a cultivator as well if possible. Some of our members, if there's property nearby, are actually cultivating breaks into the crop um, because... With this weather, it might be a while before we are drilling. So, you know, there is that that fire risk going forward post-harvest as well.
0: Kath, we know that getting a mobile signal in the countryside can be a problem. Generally, you can make an emergency call on other networks if yours isn't available. But of course, you then need to be able to tell the fire service where to find you.
1: So What Three Words is fantastic for this kind of thing. And we uh, sometimes recommend actually giving the coordinates of a gateway so that they can see where they're going to come in and then where to get to you as well. Um, In Dad's circumstance on Monday, the fire brigade arrived very quickly, but they thought the fire was out. So they were walking across the field. Um, The the fire kept on restarting. so Fortunately... They quickly told them, no, come quick, and uh, they were able to get it out.
0: That is another point, isn't it, that you might look at a field and think, no, phew, we've sorted it, it's all out. But they can restart very easily, can't they?
1: Very easily. So it's just so important to be really vigilant during this time and for the general public to be vigilant We need to ensure there's education to the public. The CLA has produced a resource pack for teachers and youth. Group leaders to promote responsible use of the countryside, including not using disposable barbecues as well as sticking to public footpaths. That's available on our website.
0: Okay, Kath, well, we are forecast to have some rain this week, which hopefully will alleviate the situation, but it's going to come back inevitably. Kath Crowther from the CLA, many thanks for some wise words this morning. Thanks very much. Stay safe, eh? We're going to talk more on soil in a moment, following on from last week's thoughts from the Soil Association's Jerry Alford. This week, it's 2020 Soil Farmer of the Year, Jake Freeston, after a quick update on the state of the current sugar beet crop with British Sugar's Tessa Seymour. How's it looking, Tessa?
4: I've been across quite a lot of the Lincolnshire and um, East Anglia, and the crop is showing some incredible resilience to the hot and dry conditions. You know, like the rest of the country, it'd be really good if we could have some rain. Um, But we'll be um, hopeful that it'll still be a good year for sugar beet in the UK.
0: And no virus issues this year?
4: Not as much as we expected. Some of the crop is showing some stress due to the drought, so that there is a bit of yellowing because of that. There is a little bit of virus um, and we're encouraging all growers to go out and inspect their fields and obviously put in a claim if they're seeing virus yellows in the field. But overall, the crop is looking pretty good.
0: Let's keep fingers crossed. And do we know when we might be uh, starting up at Newark yet?
4: Yes, so we're expecting growers to start lifting in mid-September and we're expecting Newark at the moment to open up on the 20th of September. We know that we'll um, get some growers that are in heavy land that will be able to lift early as they'll be less affected by the drought and then other soil carbs uh, which will be more affected by the dry weather will lift later, which will give their crop a to bulk up and improve yield anyway. Going on to Newig, we know we had a lot of issues last year. I think it'd be good to give the growth and update that we've invested a fair amount into the uh, into the factory this year, um, 7.6 million. That's included a brand new control system, as well as just half a million on uh, maintenance. We do want the campaign to run as best as possible, so we're deliberately starting the campaign slowly at Newig, and then we'll build that up over the first um, month, and that's just to ensure that um, everything is working well at the factory.
0: Lovely. Thanks, Tessa. We look forward to another successful campaign. Thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning.
4: Thanks so much, Steve. Take care.
0: Jake Freeston, won Soil Farmer of the Year in 2020. He's with us today for part two of our look at possibly the most important asset for most farmers, the soil. Jake, welcome. Bit of background first, if you would, about the soil on your farm.
5: We've got three particular soil types. We've got an Evesham series clay, uh, which is quite heavy, holds a lot of water in the winter, then we've got some sand over gravel and then the farm rises up to a thousand foot above sea level um, and up there we've got a lot of Cotswold brash which is very thin soil sitting on a massive lump of limestone. We combine about 900 hectares here, uh, winter wheat, winter barley, winter oilseed rape, um, spring barley, winter linseed, winter beans, we've got some quinoa this year, we've played around with soya We've harvested spring peas in the past. We've also got some heritage wheat, a variety called red lammas, which dates back to the 17th century. And we've also got some April bearded, which is a spring heritage wheat as well. And um, we're growing those to try and create some heritage loads of bread, sort of for some artisan bakeries and things like that. The other thing we've got, which is really important, is quite a lot of grass. And we run about 850 ewes uh, lambing outdoors. So we've got a livestock enterprise and and part of our soil management is to integrate the livestock into the arable fields.
0: Okay, let's talk about soil then. What did you do to become Soil Farmer of the Year a couple of years ago? (laughs)
5: Uh, Really good question. So I was fortunate enough to do a Nuffield Farming Scholarship in 2013. And I basically travelled around the world, uh, Canada, the States, Mexico, New Zealand, Ireland, to look at how do we improve yields to feed a growing population my initial thoughts of finding some sort of fungicide or the next genetics was going to solve that problem for us. But it it turns out that it it doesn't. Uh, what we need to do is focus on, on our soil management and our soil health. That underpins our yield and our biodiversity and our water quality and our air quality is, is having good, healthy soil. And, and farmers know that. It's at the heart of what we do. So how do we improve our soil health? And that turned our whole farming system literally on its head when I came back in 2013 into a regenerative farming system. So direct drilling, a range of crops that we grow, livestock integration. And cover cropping? So we don't leave fields bare. We constantly have things growing on them. And the livestock help to, uh, to graze those off and, and recycle those nutrients. This year it's proving a huge challenge to try and get cover crops established we haven't actually planted very many at all yet because it's just so dry nothing's going to grow uh mixed species so lots of vetches bursine clover buckwheat bacillia oats all sorts of different species mixed up together helps feed the soil biology so different rooting structures different depths of rooting some to create um, or sort of remove compaction, like a tillage radish. Um, all of these things go towards improving the soil health, and and that's the sort of the starting point, if you like, for a healthy farming system.
0: So your soil beliefs are regenerative farming. We've talked last week on the programme with the Soil Association and they had various tips. We talked about soil testing, getting more organic matter into the soils and their big thing was before you do anything, before you consider any changes to the farm, sort out the soil structure first.
5: Couldn't agree more. Once you can get that soil functioning more biologically than chemically, you're in a really good position to then start to reduce your artificial inputs. Things like nitrogen fertiliser, phosphate fertiliser. We're cutting back on seed rates, cutting back on fungicides. We're not using insecticides anymore. And and all of this is farming uh, more biologically, farming with nature, but not sacrificing performance. And this is the key part of it, I think, in that we, we entered this kind of regenerative agriculture purely from an economic point of view. How can we reduce our cost of production without sacrificing the yield? And the, the further you go down the sort of corridor, the more opportunity you have to kind of reduce those costs. And that, to us, is, is really important.
0: I've heard it said, well, OK, we save all this money on cost but yield suffers as a result and you know people will say well i need to put all this stuff on the on the crops to get a decent yield you've not found that though
5: no we haven't we can't always make the right decision every single time but in general our our yields haven't suffered i mean this year for instance we've had 10 and a half 11 and a half tons per hectare of feed wheat grown on 30 kilograms of nitrogen with, with two fungicides no insecticides a tiny bit of herbicide so the the opportunity is there. And if you take that back to you know, the profitability level, so not your gross margin, not your yield down the pub, yes, you can sacrifice a little bit of yield because the fixed costs are less, the growing crops are less, your cash flow position is better. You're not spending so much to get there. Your risk is less. Switching to direct drilling, we're using a lot less diesel. So our fuel use has gone down from 53 litres a hectare down to 15 litres a hectare per crop grown that's massively helping our carbon footprint, helping us move towards a net zero position, which, which the farm is currently in. You know, we've been finding yields, have, they haven't been improving yet, but they certainly haven't been deteriorating from this switch, which we did uh, across the whole farm seven years ago. You know, we need, we need to focus on our soil, not just from a farming point of view, but for sort of biodiversity, for water quality. There's a, a lot of talk, Steve, about carbon in this sort of farming system, We are farming in net zero position so we do genuinely have carbon that is available to offset with other businesses and from an income stream for agriculture i think we're in a really really positive place if we're farming correctly to be able to take carbon from other businesses that can't get rid of all of theirs to help actually move society into a more carbon friendly position and i think farmers have a real opportunity to to get out there and sell themselves as a a really positive story
0: jake freeston soil farmer of the year 2020 fascinating to talk to you thanks for sharing your story with us on the farming program this morning
5: absolute pleasure thank you for the invitation
0: Last week, we also heard about an upcoming documentary about regenerative farming, six inches of soil. You'll be able to see Scunthorpe farmer Anna Jackson at Pink Pig Farm in the final movie. So I popped along for a look and a chat and asked Anna, why is regen farming so important?
6: There's so many benefits to it. The, the wildlife is happier. You use less chemicals. Your labour costs are half, so farmers are... Uh, coming up to quite a difficult time in their lives where you know the government aren't going to pay them anymore to survive so they have to think of new methods and new ways to financially cope and so farming regeneratively you save a lot of money we halved all of our bills which was incredible but it's kind of a win win because financially you're a lot better off and also environmentally you're a lot better off so we don't plough anymore. We don't disturb the soil if we can try. Um, we keep living living roots in the soil the whole time, which is what nature intended. You know, basically we're harping back to whatever nature asked for and we're trying to replicate nature as much as possible, which is what the birds like, what the animals like. We've noticed we've got deer back on the farm. You know, we've we actually got a bit of a deer problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, we Dad won a wildlife award um, for the most bird species. It's It's really exciting because we're bringing nature back onto the farm and it's encouraging the natural ecosystem to thrive which is what we should have been doing all along really but I think money got in the way and these big chemicals came in and said look we'll make you loads of money And people were like yeah sure let's go for it not realizing the impact it had on our environment
0: a lot of people have said that regenerative farming one of the, the downsides of that is reduced yields have you not found that then
6: no so we've been doing it really slowly so we've we started eight years ago now and every step we've made it's happened slowly if we'd have done it really quick I think we would have had a drop in yield definitely some of our fields have actually increased in yield you know we've had the best wheat we've ever had on our hillside crop which is incredible because dad said you know he's been farming since he was 16 you know he's now 60 he's never seen a crop like that before so it just goes to show that it does work but if you if you move too quickly then you'll then you'll be in trouble Okay,
0: and What would you like to see change in farming? I mean, there's an awful lot of talk frequently about the future of farming, things like technology and so on. If you had a couple of things that you'd like to see change in farming, what would they be?
6: Getting younger people involved, um, educating more people about how you can be an environmentally friendly farmer, and just a knowledge exchange, like a pure knowledge exchange With farmers, there's there's a um, organisation called Base UK, and they are doing that. It's a non for profit led organisation led by farmers, and it's a pure knowledge exchange. And I think we, we there's this there's this stipulation where farmers look over the hedge and go, oh, he'll make the mistakes. I'll I'll see what works and copy, and I'll talk about him down at local pub. You know, I don't want that. I want us to talk like I make I make TikTok videos purely on the mistakes we're making. So all the things that go wrong. Because farmers don't talk about things that go wrong. And that's so important, especially with Regen, where you're all discovering as you go. You know, So I think I think learning about the environment and talking about farming, farming openly and getting some younger people involved.
0: Anna, good luck for the future. Thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme this morning.
6: Thank you. It's been wonderful.
0: Another season's reaching its conclusion. Sean Sparling sums it up for us. And with the weather forecast and the Grain and Livestock Market reports. Next,
1: The Farming Programme, with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years.
0: As another season draws to a hot, dry close, I asked our independent crop consultant, Sean Sparling, to mount his soapbox for his summary of 21-22 in the fields.
2: Morning, Sean. Yes, morning again, Steve. Yeah, I mean, this year, obviously, the, the general public have seen all of their money going out of the house far quicker than it would normally do it's been a very tough 12 months for everybody but of course we in agriculture have seen unprecedented price hike from all inputs from agrochemicals and fertiliser gas electricity diesel we've seen product availability drop off a cliff in some cases you know go back to early season in october with glyphosate last october it was three times the price that it was two three months before if you could get it and it was almost having to be rationed and for regenerative agriculture and minimum tillage and agricultural practices where we're minimising the use of machinery to conserve carbon in the soil, glyphosate is absolutely vital and we couldn't get hold of it and once again this year we're struggling. Propisamide, curb in seed rape last year. Various excuses as to why we couldn't get hold of these things but mainly it was being blamed on production issues and when we see prices almost doubling for all of these products Trebling in some cases and staying there you know you look at glyphosate it went up to about 150 quid for 20 litres from 40 and it still sits there it hasn't come down Preems peas and beans this spring things like nirvana didn't turn up until it was too late until after the peas and beans were in the ground and passed the safe treatment timing so we were expecting inferior weed control strategies to the norm Preem absolutely vital in crops like peas and beans because of the lack of post-emergence applications so that was a big concern as well we saw huge pressure and high prices, supplies of fungicides, of uh, growth regulators, and staple herbicides like fluoroxipa, starane, standard plant protection products that we've taken for granted for decades we were struggling to get hold of, and the prices were almost prohibitive. We saw nitrogen fertilizer prices almost quadruple. We saw muriator potash get up to well over £740 a tonne, triple superphosphates over £900 a tonne. Diammonium phosphate over a thousand pounds a ton with nitrogen fertilizer prices quadrupling and people placing orders three months, four months, five months ahead of themselves, not sure they're actually going to get any of that nitrogen. And the one thing we need for wheat, apart from the rain, is nitrogen plant food to keep them growing. So, absolute nightmare, made worse, of course, by Russia's actions, meaning that we couldn't offset any domestic lack of production with an imported ammonium nitrate fertilizer. saw our own domestic manufacturers closing down their production not increasing it, closing it down Yara, CF fertilisers, they shut down ammonium nitrate production plants across the UK because of the cost of production thanks to the wholesale gas price increases we've also had issues with the government wanting to ban the alternative to ammonium nitrate, urea thankfully that didn't happen following concerted effort by myself and a lot of us within the industry we've also had the environment agency of course this year trying to ban the use of organic manures, pig FYM cattle FYM, duck Poultry manure being used in the autumn on anything other than all seed rate. Once again, thankfully, common sense prevailed. As we were pointing out to these people in the EA, their reasoning was flawed and it was based on spurious and minimalistic data. RB209 crop nitrogen requirement is for the whole season, not just for the autumn season. And there is an army of people like myself, facts qualified advisors, who are capable of managing these products and these organic manures to ensure the minimum of effect on watercourses, which is what, of course, we do for a living. And then, as if all of that wasn't quite enough of a kick in the backside for UK agriculture, Russia goes and invades Ukraine, and that throws the entire world into chaos because of not just the damage that's done to grain exports, 30 to 40 percent of the world's wheat comes out of Ukraine and Russia, which puts hundreds of millions of people around the world at risk of starvation extraordinary but of course the actions of Mr Putin mean we can no longer import nitrogen fertilizers so that affects our domestic production too but what we have seen is wheat prices rape prices barley prices all way higher technically and on paper than anyone has ever seen thanks to all of this which is going on and that had to be the case they look good on paper but the cost of input means that actually the price of wheat and the price of rape and the price of barley needs to be where it is to make sure that our farmers are still making a profit we'll
0: hear more from sean summarizing the season of twenty one twenty two and looking at livestock next week on the farming program thank you sean hope you're enjoying your break now to our weekly market reports starting with livestock from Laos, auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Good
7: morning Oliver. Morning Steve, welcome to another weekly roundup from here at Louth for Monday the 8th of August. Slightly quieter day with one or two opting to finish their combining with just a couple of days left and in the sheep market slightly quieter due to many being shut down by the six day standstill after last Friday's party fair and roaring trade. However for everything forward, everything just as dear on the week if not dearer. Starting with the prime cattle which see just prime heff is on offer top at 281 pence per kilo and gross 1428 pounds and 35 pence for J.C. Scolia bomber to level and leave an all-in average of 266.61 pence per kilo and on to the sheep, Louth would be some 15 to 20 pence per kilo, dearer than all other outlets this week with a mixed show of lambs forward with the very best ended, meated lambs, the easiest to place, an SQQ of 277.97 pence per kilo with an all-in average of 275.61 pence per kilo top cane for G.B. housem of Stickford at 320. 5 pence per kilo and was shared by P.S. Marsden and & Son and G.B. Howesham at £150 per head. Finally the cool use, just a handy show on offer and the average reflecting uh, the show of ewes forward with plenty of feeding and grazing use mixed amongst there to level at £87.60. A top this week for J. Hunt of Louth at £140 per head with plenty more best ended continental use selling between that £130 and £140 mark. A huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week. Tomorrow, Monday the 15th, is store cattle week and the annual consignment from Mr Stuart Renshaw of Tetford of his 22 Charolais and Simmental cross suckle calves. Sale to commence at approximately 2.15. For all marketing options, whether that be cattle or sheep, please don't hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Oliver. And with a look at the grain markets, Open Fields. Kit Dickinson.
8: Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. The wheat market is range-bound as the trade assess EU crop prospects and the durability of the Black Sea export corridor. The announcement that a 10 nautical mile buffer zone had been agreed emerged this week, which increased optimism that exports would start to pick up. Most of the vessels leaving the agreed Ukrainian ports have been trapped there since the start of the war, with only two vessels going in. Stories abound that the cargoes leaving are either being rejected for contractual reasons or condition or rerouted in an attempt to find fresh buyers. Once the backlog has been cleared and the port silos emptied, repaired, staffed and replenished with stocks there is then the question of finding ship owners, crew and buyers willing to take the risk that there will be other origins available. EU wheat exports are setting an impressive pace with available vessels and port data indicating that France has already shipped 1.5 million metric tonnes with another 500,000 tonnes waiting to load. Unfortunately the EU weekly export dates appear once again incapable of providing an accurate data reporting only a two percent increase on Last season when it is actually thirty percent plus. this is just the sort of disinformation that the algorithms and the Twitter seize upon to support their bare case. barley, as expected, molten barley prices have fallen about ten pounds per ton in the last week, more if prompted movement is required. Some growers have finished harvest completely in some cases, a month earlier than expected. And the focus has now shifted from marketing to movement of August malting barley, with many growers producing more tonnage than contracted and that needs moving into stores. Molsters and brewers are more interested in buying post-Christmas than pre. Again, a forecast that the malting barley premium over feed has narrowed further, with malting prices having fallen back. But also, for the later months, feed barley has improved in value. Malting barley remains in its own market sphere and is not reacting to the movements in either the wheat or the feed barley market. So looking at all seed rape this week, domestic prices have been supported by demand from crushes and lack of sellers. Stores are filling up as growers have chosen to move rather than price. The lack of sellers has capped losses from the weaker motif rapeseed on Wednesday, which appeared to be following the five-week high of the euro rather than the stronger veg oil markets. Weather is a continued focus for the market. Water levels in rivers, lakes and reservoirs across Western Europe are running low or even dry amid the severest drought in decades, which is putting stress on drinking water supplies, hampering river freight and threatening crop yields. Rapeseed planting would normally be underway across most of the continent, but with soils baked hard and no change in the forecast for at least two weeks, it looks very likely that it will be a late start to the season, with acreage already at risk. So, looking at prices this week, feed wheat for August September is 255 to 262, November 262 to 268, February 265 to 271, and May 268 to 274. Milling wheat premiums are currently £40. Feed barley for August 222 to 229, September 232 to 239. November 238 to 244, February 242 to 247, and May 245 to 250. Malting barley premiums are currently £45 from Max 185 and £50 from Max 165, but please note these are not related to feed barley values. August seed rape 515 to 522, September 518 to 525. February 525 to 535, and May 528 to 538.
0: Thanks as ever, Kit. The farming program five-day forecast. It's been another very hot, very dry week, but that looks likely to change with some heavy rain forecast for the first half of the week, at least. Still calm, hot, and dry today, with highs hitting 33 Celsius inland. The rain is forecast to hit Monday afternoon with up to 6 mil expected. It'll still be hot with a light and variable breeze and highs around 30 Celsius. Tuesday to Thursday brings more rain and it'll be several degrees cooler. Highs in the mid-teens are likely midweek and the winds stay light and variable and the rain looks likely to die away on Thursday when the temperatures pick up and the sun returns. Well, that's it for this week. The Farming Programme returns from 7 next Sunday morning when we'll be talking to the black farmer. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week.
1: The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham,
7: BSI ISO 9001 accredited.